Well, it's been far too long, and unfortunately, even though she is one of my great friends in life, we talk about stuff when there's bad stuff. We rarely call up and go, hey, let's just talk about fun things. Uh, Karen Conti joins me, one of the smartest people I've ever known, a great attorney, and uh, frankly, uh, an expert on the Supreme Court on a million levels and the perfect person to talk to in the wake of the leak from Alito, um, what could happen as we go forward. And, and Karen, thanks for taking the time to do this. Absolutely. So I see this as three different stories that are all inexorably linked together. One is the obvious ramifications of the decision and the votes if they stay the same. Um, the other is the leak and how it got to that. And the third piece of it is politics. But you know the law. And let's start with that. Can you give me basically the 101 on Roe versus Wade, um, how that came to be? Uh, is there a simple way to sum that part of it up? Yeah, Roe versus Wade was decided in 1972. And, you know, the, the issue is the right to privacy. The court in that case said there was a right to privacy, even though the Constitution does not mention, obviously, abortion, and nor does it mention a specific right to privacy. But the majority of the justices decided that if you take all the First Amendment right to privacy for religion, right, Fourth Amendment right not to be unreasonably searched and seized, and the 14th Amendment uh, right to personal autonomy, uh, you add all those together, you come up with this idea that we as a people have this inalienable right to privacy. And the first time that right to privacy was used was in a case where uh, there was a law in Connecticut that said that married couples could not use birth control. Mm -hmm. And so it was actually a crime. So that right to privacy was used to strike down that law saying that married couples can do what they want in their bedroom and can use birth control. And this right to privacy was extended uh, in Roe versus Wade. And remembering Roe versus Wade actually set forth the trimesters where, whereby in the first trimester, a woman had an absolute right. During the second trimester, there could be some restrictions. In the third, there could be further restrictions. So they kind of, you, even though if you, if you like Roe versus Wade, you can be critical of the way they did it because it was a little bit of a stretch uh, in the law. And I think even scholars uh, will tell you that. So the basis to strike this down, Alito seemed, uh, you know, it, it's a weird way to read it, maybe, but he seemed angry in yeah. in this brief. And like, I've been waiting to say this for a long time, and this is what's really going on. And I'm sick of this. And this is what I say, writing the majority of opinion or the majority opinion. Uh, again, a first draft, it can change and all that. We'll get into that in a second. But were you surprised at the, the almost viciousness of his response? Yeah, I mean, I'm, to be fair, I'll call it strident. But, you know, when you have a precedent uh, that has been in place for 50 years, even if, even if you don't agree with it, you can't just strike it down because precedent is important. Why? Because you don't want one court to say, yeah, we have a right to this. And then the next time there's a change in the court, we have, no, we don't have a right to this. Supreme Court is supposed to speak for really for a long period of time, hopefully forever. So the idea that you're striking down a 50-year precedent, there has to be some finding that this this doesn't make any sense. It was wrongly decided, horribly decided, and that the world won't fall apart uh, if we change it. And I did find, you know, his whole position was that that was judicial activism. Drew versus Wade was the court's legislation. There's no such thing as abortion in the Constitution. And therefore, 
we shouldn't be making these decisions. It's up to the states to make decisions. The, the problem with that argument is that there's a lot of things that aren't in the Constitution, like, you know, cell phones. You know, the courts have ruled that cell phones have a right to privacy. Mm-hmm. That certainly was not in the Founding Fathers' uh, dictionary. So, um, you know, I find that it, it could be that he really doesn't like the activism, or it could be that he finds abortion personally distasteful. And of course, the justices are not supposed to be activists, and they're not supposed to be uh, people that judge anything but the law that's in front of them. So, what case brought this forth to them, which would allow him to? make this opinion and and have this preliminary vote? Well, I think the cases have all been brought where you've got states that are enacting laws that infringe on Roe versus Wade, and they keep getting tested and they keep going up to the courts on different issues, parental notification, different trimester periods, different uh, ways to, to limit um, making actually criminalizing abortion in some cases. And so finally, this case came up and we have the perfect storm because we have a conservative court with five justices who, my guess is, they don't like judicial activism, but they also probably personally find uh, abortion to be distasteful. And you can't help but use your own personal feelings about an issue, in my view, um, to decide a case, you know? And if you don't think abortion is right because it's against your religion or against your your morals and values, you're going to find a way to strike it down. I truly believe that. And it goes the other way for liberals, too. I'm not saying that it's just a conservative situation, but I find that you know, liberals on the court are going to find a way to uphold Roe versus Wade because it comports with their moral compass. Mm-hmm. Well, there's two things I've heard uh, since this broke. Uh, one is more of a glossary thing. Uh, stare decisis goes to what you mentioned before. That's the idea of accepting and ruling with precedent as part of your guide. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That's that's the idea that precedent should, you know, the, the, the case is already decided and we can't change that decision unless certain things are in place. And, and those are pretty egregious things that we that, that it's such a horribly written decision. It's such a horribly based decision. And again, that certain things in society aren't going to be violated if we upturn it. So the other thing that I've heard, and I'm a little more confused by this, is that this is the first time a constitutional right is being removed in the history of America, in the history of the court. What are your thoughts on that? And again, we're saying this based on the fact that the votes stay the same and nothing changes between now and when these things are typically announced in June. But we're basing it on what we know right now. Well, I think I think that the justices, the five justices who are probably going to vote to overturn Roe versus Wade are going to say there was no such constitutional right in the beginning. There's nothing that says that that women have a right to an abortion. So therefore, the court was wrong. So we didn't take anything away that was already there. Um, you know, the people on the other side are going to say, yeah, women do have a right to privacy and can do what, what their body, what they want to do, especially in that first trimester uh, before the, the fetus is viable. And so you are taking away uh, a constitutional right. But listen, we've recognized constitutional rights, you know, like we just had a, the right to gay marriage and, mm-hmm. and that, you know, that has not been a right for forever and ever and ever. But the courts finally came around to say that a man, you can't discriminate against a man who wants to marry a man versus a woman who wants to marry a man. So it's it's not even a gay right. It's a human right because you can't discriminate against uh, uh, people based on their gender. So does this open the door to that? Does this open the door to well, you know, a question on gay marriage and a question on other things that one side might consider immoral and the other side considers a basic right? 
I absolutely think so. And and going back to the case in Connecticut where there was a law saying that married couples cannot use birth control, that was based on the right to privacy. If the right to privacy falls because Roe versus Wade was based on the right to privacy and the courts say, no, that's not going to happen, then if a state wants to enact a law that says sodomy, for instance, is a crime, oral sex is a crime, birth control is a crime, something you do in your bed, uh, interracial marriage is a crime. Those were cases that all came before the courts at different periods of time. So if there's no right to privacy, then that would mean that the Supreme Court stays out of your life and the states get to decide if those things are crimes or those things are not crimes. Now, I'm not saying that courts, uh, states are going to start saying you can't use birth control, but they could. You know, they, they absolutely could based on that. Because, and that, to me, is frightening because uh, that's a real slippery slope. It's a very slippery slope because the right to privacy does cover so many things. Um, and by the way, it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat. That should frighten you. It should frighten you. It should absolutely frighten you. All right. So we know politically that there is a position that could be taken to potentially codify this into law. I don't want to talk about the politics. I want to talk about the law in this case, because there's a second level to this. And that is the leak that came uh, that, that this came out of. I mean, the one thing in Washington that has been leak proof, with the exception of John Roberts on Obamacare, and that was pretty much the same time that the the uh, ruling was being announced. Nothing comes out early. Nothing is is uh, is ever revealed. And I've seen a lot of people who know a lot about the Supreme Court really upset by this. How big a deal is the leak itself? Well, first of all, I think it kind of puts that whole branch of government into a light that we don't want to shine on it, right? Because when you have an opinion that comes down, it's an affirmative opinion. Now, people, there might be a dissent. You know, a dissent is where one uh, justice doesn't like the, the majority opinion and says, you know what, I disagree. I'm going to vote against the ruling, but I'm going to tell you why. And then there's a concurrence, which is maybe we agree with the result, but maybe not the reasoning behind it. And so by the time you get this opinion, everybody's opinions are firmed up, they're written well, and everyone has a consensus, at least as to their positions. When you see this like half-done opinion that might change, that can change all the way up until the day that the opinion is issued, it's going to dilute the power of it, whether you like it or not. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying I like it, I'm not saying I don't like it, I'm just saying now we're going to see a new opinion that might be slightly different, and I definitely think it impacts the power of, of that opinion. I also think it just sheds light on, you know, what's going on? Like, who's working for the Supreme Court? Aren't there some checks and balances? Like, who did this? Could it be some progressive clerk who's mad about it and wants to uh, seek revenge or, or whatever? Or is it a conservative clerk or a conservative person who wants to get this out there so that maybe uh, other uh, justices will join in and say, yeah, that's a good thing? Or is it just some crazy person who wants their 15 minutes of fame, right? Could be a disgruntled employee who just is mad about this and doesn't care. I, I don't know. It just doesn't shine. It, it just doesn't, um, it doesn't look good for anybody. I, well, I would assume that when these opinions are written from first draft to final draft, there's a very small select group of people that get to see them, whether it's making copies or whatever the case may be. Is that true? Probably, but you know, let's, t- let's take the, each, 
each Supreme Court justice has three to four clerks. Okay. And there are also going to be some administrative people attendant. So maybe two people, uh, secretaries who work for the clerks and for the justice. And then you have the administration there that may have access to them, but probably not. So if you do the math on that, that's, that's, that's a number of people. And I'm sure they have uh, covenants, you know, in their agreements not to disclose anything. And they're probably sworn to to keep everything silent. And my guess is that there's an investigation going on this very minute. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Chief Justice Roberts said to all of the clerks, I want your telephones on my desk immediately and call in an IT person to see what might have been sent from their phones to whomever, to Politico or whoever uh, published this. Pu- published this. Um, it's probably ongoing right now. And maybe the FBI is even involved. So these clerks, um, their hope is to go on to become lawyers and judges of their own. And a Supreme Court clerk is a big deal. Uh, I suppose they could be professors as well, academics. Um, what happens to this person if they're revealed? And they probably will be revealed. I Well, they'll be fired. And there may be criminal charges brought. You know, I would that, that would not surprise me to set a precedent that you're not going to allow these um this confidential information to come out. I also think that you might be disbarred. I mean, it, it, that's well, the ultimate. hope for a legal career could end with this. Absolutely. You know, and if you're that person, you know, yeah, you might be looking for another profession very quickly. And again, the politics of this, maybe it fires up the Republican base. Maybe it fires up the Democrats base. Lord knows it would be nice if more than 18 to 20 percent showed up to vote in a primary. But all this is coming down in June. June is when these decisions are traditionally released. The justices that voted, uh, can they still change their minds since this was a first draft? They absolutely can up until the last minute. And there, there are arguments sometimes and that result in a flip-flop. Justice uh, Roberts flip-flopped on Obamacare, and mm-hmm. that was what was actually leaked a few years ago on that. And, yeah, he wanted to vote uh, one way, and then he changed his mind. Um, my guess is that, that we're not going to see a change in mind because the, the usual suspects voted against it, and the, the usual suspects voted in favor of, of, of overturning it. So my guess is we're not going to see a change. All right, so let's say it does stay the same. The wording could change, obviously. Uh, There's a dissenting opinion that will be written by the minority. Outside of history, what's the importance of the dissenting opinion? It it sets... Dissenting opinion can be cited in cases as precedent, not so much that uh, it's not a winning argument, but, but at least a justice has made that argument. So uh, there have been really some really good dissenting opinions that have been used to change the law, like Brown versus Board of Education, segregation in schools was upheld initially, and then it was reversed, and dissenting opinions are, have been used to, to make arguments that change the law. So, so it will be important how well they are articulated. Yeah, has there been a situation like that? I mean, it's it's impossible to say. I'm sure, but I know you've read much more on the court and the court's history than I have. Um, are we aware of situations where there has been a decision made in a first draft that eventually changes completely? I guess there's no way to know that, right? There's no way to know that because we wouldn't be privy to those those drafts. That that that's the that's what's interesting about this. We never see those first drafts. So what do you anticipate between now and June, except for a lot of material for uh, talk shows? <laughs> right. 
Well, I think the court's going to get busy. Um, they're they're going to investigate this. They're going to find out very quickly who leaked this, and there's going to be some ramification, whether it's criminal or disbarment or and certainly a termination. Um, I think that uh, there's going to be, you know, they're, they're going to write the opinion. They're going to be dissents, maybe a concurrence. Um, and I think it's going to come up maybe a little bit earlier than June because they're going to try to get this oh, out to, 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 to put an end to some of this talk, which is not good for anybody. And I think we're going to see uh, all kinds of states start passing. They've already started passing laws uh, that are restrictive or outlawing abortion altogether. We have 16 states plus Washington, D.C., including Illinois, that have um, passed laws that protect the right to abortion. So it, Illinois, for instance, will not really be affected by the overturning of Roe versus Wade because there's a law that says that women will always have the right to choose in Illinois. And until that's stricken down, um, the laws won't change. We're going to see abortion clinics um, congregating on the edge of states. We already see that in Illinois because Missouri uh, has some restrictive laws and you see 10,000 people a year are coming from other states to Illinois to, to get abortions. We also see Wisconsin is very restrictive, Indiana and Michigan. So those are all states that uh, abut Illinois and you're going to see probably abortion clinics right on the the, uh, the borderline so that they can service women who want to come to Illinois for an abortion. So the severe arguments that come from this are many, you know, your 15 year old son is having sex and he's having sex with a 15 year old girl and she gets pregnant and now he's going to be a father uh, by law and she's going to be a mother uh, by law where maybe they would make that change more more horribly um you know someone who's raped by an uncle or a family member and gets pregnant having to have a child where is that breakdown you mentioned the trimesters but could states craft individual laws in each case like for instance maybe mississippi says uh you know no abortion ever regardless of the circumstances and other states do allow circumstances to change what what do you think of that yeah the laws are going to be all over the place and uh, I just read, you know, I haven't read the statute in Alabama, but uh, one scholar said that the law in Alabama as to abortion right now as we sit here is more restrictive than the law on abortion in Saudi Arabia. And as, as we know, Saudi Arabia just gave women the right to drive cars. Wow. So you can see that there are already, mostly in the South and Central Illinois, uh, very restrictive laws. And, and watch this in the next week, Steve. You're going to see laws be changed very quickly. The politicians are going to get out on this, and they're going to, in some cases, ban abortion altogether in all circumstances. My, that's my guess. You you explained stare decisis before we wrap up. Trigger laws, is that what you were describing about laws that go into effect immediately? Yes, uh, and th- those are waiting on the books in, in several states. That if Roe versus, the minute Roe versus Wade gets overturned then the new laws come into effect yeah and there's there's a bunch of those out there so the new york illinois uh california the states that are primarily democratic in power those states will remain the same but as i understand it by the counts i've seen over half the states in the country uh, though their populations may be less over half the states in the country maybe 40 percent of the population would no longer have access it's hard to say exactly but that's that's very close to what the predictions are going to be. And again, we don't we don't know what's going to happen politically, Steve, because at least as far as I'm concerned, I never 
I, w- I was raised with the idea that women had a right to choose. So I never had to go out and protest. I never had to really think about that issue very much uh, other than to know that we always had that right. But now with our woke culture and some of the young people who are very adamant about rights and about civil rights and, and, and they're very vocal when it comes to protest, I think we're going to see that younger generation come out and, and protest. And so it's going to be an interesting political time to watch this issue. Yeah, because the fact is Republicans have gotten abortions, too, and would get abortions. It's not a party-specific uh, thing. And the question will be how many people on the Republican side of voting are going to say, enough, I don't want you in my bedroom. I don't want your opinion on this. And the only way we'll know that is when it comes to primary and general election voting. But we are headed, down, right. headed down that path for that announcement to come. And it's interesting you say that could be could be before the traditional June announcements um, but it makes sense. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, all right. Anything else we need to know in regards to this or should we all just lay down and take a nap? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it took our mind off Ukraine for a while. Uh, and that's the other <laughs> thing, right? I mean, there's hor- <laughs> we've got this horrible war and now we've got this. Good Lord, some good news would be good. If you have any, will you call me any time of the day or night? If you find some good news, let me know. I'll just take good weather. How's that? Yeah, we don't even have that. Uh. Unbelievable. <laughs> Karen Conti, if people need to get a hold of you, and I highly recommend they do if they are in need of a great attorney, um, family law and other things, um, you're always available, I know. And what's the best way to do that? Sure. And, you know, if you have a, any question about the law or you need a referral to a lawyer, even if I don't do that kind of law, I'm always able to give you a good referral, which is important because, you know, there's not, oh, there's good lawyers out there, but you got to make sure you get the right one. And I'm, I have a good cadre of people that I I refer to, uh, and I know they're trusted in their field. You can call me at 312-332-7800, or better yet, uh, kconti, K-C-O-N-T-I, at kcontilaw.com. And one of us is still on the radio, so why don't you plug your show? Sure. On WGN, it's the Karen Conti Show. It's on Sundays from 3 to 5. I have little uh, topics that we talk about, Johnny Depp trials, war crimes, you name it. And then I take legal questions on the air. You can always tune in there on WGN AM 720. Yeah, and uh, the Johnny Depp thing, we'll pick up another time, but I wish I'd never heard the word grumpy. I'll just leave it at that. It's Uh, a train wreck. We are watching a train wreck just can't make it up (laughs) Karen Conti thank you as always stay healthy all right Steve nice talking to you as always thank you for listening to live from my office a service of monkey run productions all rights reserved the podcast is hosted by Steve Cochran and it's mixed edited and produced by me Ross Cochran Steve is available for corporate speaking gigs he would love to MC your event And occasionally, he's funny. Thank you for listening. Head to CochranShow.com for more.